I've entitled this message, The Clock and the Dollar. And so you probably, if you know, clock relates to time and the dollar relates to money. And uh, it's just two areas. We'll talk about them. But I just want to focus in on a, just a couple of verses tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read 1 Peter 1.17 later on. But look carefully in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. And it starts with these words, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the verse now that relates to the clock. Making the best use of the time, and here's the incentive, because the days are evil. I think one of the most life-changing thoughts that can come to our mind as believers is to recognize that biblical truth, we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. 1 Peter 1, 17 and 19 reminds us of that great truth. And if you want to turn there, I'll read it to you. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when He judges. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time. There again, the clock. During your time as foreigners here on earth. And here's the reason. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Those verses alone, if we didn't have any other verses in the New Testament other than 1 Peter 1, 17 and 19, remind us that we are not owners of anything, but borrowers. We are renters, or if you please, as managers or stewards in the laboring of the master's vineyard. And he owns it all. Not only the vineyard, but he even owns us as the workers. And you and I are charged with viewing ourselves not as the owners of anything, not even our own selves, but we are the stewards and seek to live out now that responsibility uh, that goes with that. You know, there's a common phrase that says it's all about Jesus. We hear that said a lot, don't we, in church circles, and, and you'll read it. Uh, common phrase, it's all about Jesus. Well, we could add to that phrase, it all belongs to Jesus. It's not only all about Jesus, but it all belongs to Jesus. We could add also that that phrase, sowing, knowing that he is the creator of all, and since he created it, he owns it. Now, we're going to talk tonight about time first and then money, but they're kind of interwoven. We are living in a day when our government is spending billions and even trillions of dollars that they do not have. Our national debt is larger than it's ever been at any point in history. And one of the complaints that I often hear, and myself, uh, at nearly every level is that the government seems to have forgotten that they don't have any money. 
It's your money. It's my money that they're spending. It's not their money. It's yours. It's mine. And in our opinion, many of the, in the government seem to have forgotten where or whose money it is. Instead of spending it in accordance with the wishes of the people, it is being spent as though the government has some right to it. Irrespective now of where you stand on the political scale, to the left or to the right, no doubt you have had or have issues with how the government spends, quote, your money. Now, if you disagree with how wildly and haphazardly at times the government is printing and spending your money as Christians, we need to be careful about making many accusations against our government lest we expose a level of hypocrisy heretofore unrecognized by many of us. For you see, before we complain about the government squandering resources which in truth belong to someone else, we need to acknowledge that most of us are guilty of the same thing. Only that some which we are spending as if it were our own and that it belongs to us rather than God. Many Christians, many Christians, I'm amazed sometimes, spend time and money as if it were actually theirs. All the while forgetting that if in fact they have given their lives to God, everything within that life belongs to God and is to be used for His purposes. And while those who are elected spend money, your money, may have to answer to their constituents on election day, those of us who have been chosen by God will have to answer to him on judgment day. And that is a far greater charge. Always get a kick, Pastor, when we read that devotional that your mother wrote, your precious mom. She and her husband, her second husband, Pastor's father died early, as you know, and they were, he was a farmer back in eastern South Dakota, not far from where I was born and raised, and they were driving somewhere, and Hilbert's cattle were out there in the field, and she said, Hilbert, those are not your cattle. And he said, they certainly are. <laughs> and she said, no, they belong to the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And sometimes we can get the idea that it's our house, it's our car, that it's our bank account, but it isn't really, is it? It all belongs to the Lord. Now, let's review that, that, that definition uh, of a steward. What is a steward, anyhow? We all have some idea. In the most simplistic terms, a steward is a manager who administers that which belongs to someone else. If you own a business and hire a financial administrator to oversee the expenditures and the finances of that business, you have hired, as it were, a steward. The money or the property they manage is not theirs. They cannot spend it as they please. It goes without saying that the money they manage belongs to the company, right? And if they misuse it, that's what we call embezzlement or fraud, something we all recognize as a criminal offense. 
If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've denied yourself, taken up your cross, truly following him, what you manage is not your own. Yes, it's not only all about Jesus. It truly all belongs to Jesus. He owns your time. There's not a moment of the day which is yours. They're all his. He owns your tongue. There's not a word that comes out of your mouth except that which should be pleasing to him. He owns your mind, your thoughts, your attitudes, your opinions. All of these are to be governed by the one who owns them and are to be used to further his kingdom. Have you ever thought about the fact that he owns you moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas? He owns your family. He owns your spouse. He owns your children. Your job. He owns your house. Your clothes. Your bank account. He literally owns it all. Now, tonight we're going to just cover, we all have areas in our life, ever, since we all are unique, we all have a DNA that is made up of different, uh, I don't know what they are, little doohickeys that they can identify. Uh, anybody by the whole world uh, knows your DNA. You're just one of a kind. And we all, since we're one of a kind, have different areas that we have to deal with to bring under the management or the control of the Holy Spirit. But probably two of the most common areas, whether you're 9 or 19, whether you're here as a young person, a child, a middle-aged person, or an older adult like myself, there are two areas that we particularly have in common that most of us struggle with. Time and money, the clock and the dollar. And there are two passages of scripture to which I would direct your attention. We've already read one of them. I want to read that Ephesians 5 and 16 from the New Living Translation. So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Here's the time factor now. Making the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. So let's move now to point number one, the stewardship of time. Therefore, be careful. In other words, it's going to require some thought and some, some intent. Not as unwise men. Be careful how you walk. And that word, of course, is translated today, live. Be careful how you live. Now... It begins, of course, with our relationship to Christ and moves to our relation, does the book of Ephesians. He starts out, I listened to the book uh, this week in its entirety, I think twice, and then other times just single chapters. He begins with our relationship with Christ and he moves to our relationship with one another. And then he moves on, does Paul, to the, our relationship with the world and how we must stand our ground as Christians. <clears throat> After explaining our position as Christians... In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been giving practical advice on the Christian live, life. And as I said, when he uses the word walk, he literally means live. In the sense that we are walking through life. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, he tells us to walk in unity. And in chapter 5, he goes by telling us we must walk with one another in love. And then he says we must walk as children of the light, as beacons of God's glorious light in a world of darkness. Reminds me of the message this morning that Pastor shared about we must walk as a man of God. 
We must walk as a woman of God. We must walk as a teenager of God. And then he tells us that we are to walk wisely, redeeming or buying back the time. It's foolish for us. This is in your notes. It is foolish for us to think that God could be concerned about how we spend our money, but not be concerned about how we spend our time. For time is infinitely more valuable than money. Time can make you money, but money cannot buy you time. Each of us are allotted only 24 hours a day, and each of us may spend it wisely, or we may waste it, but we never get it back. And you can never get more time than what is allotted to you in a day. Now, the direct admonition here, I think this is in your notes, yes it is, is that we are to be intentional about how we spend our time. And, and for that word intentional, you could put disciplined, you could write in purposeful. I don't know if there's any one magic word there, but the word that comes to me is we need to be intentional. In other words, disciplined or purposeful how we spend our time. That's part of what it means to be wise and to walk in wisdom. It means that we are to run the decisions about how we spend our time through the filter of the scripture and prayer. It means we are to think strategically about how we will spend the moments, the hours, and the days of our lives. That's what it means to redeem the time. We're not to idle away our days doing nothing that have no eternal value, but rather to spend them as a gift from God to make the greatest impact on eternity. Now, Jesus talked a lot. If you want to read this, uh, just read the Sermon on the Mount, and you will find that there are two principal things that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Time and money. It's interesting that Jesus follows up this teaching in Matthew 6, 19 through 34, by asking us, where is your treasure? Because the things that, the time that you have spent gathering treasure and the money that you spend accumulating and then maintaining that treasure, that's actually where your heart is. Whatever you say with your lips really doesn't count. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to follow. It's just like a beagle following the trail of a rabbit. They, your, where your treasure is, your heart just goes right along behind it. That's why we need to be very wise I, I, in our time and money. I read this statement this afternoon by Charles Richard. He says, don't be fooled by the calendar. There are only as many days in the year as you make use of. One man gets only a week's value out of a whole year, while another gets a full year's value out of a week. That's pretty good, isn't it? That people who squander their time, if they were asked to account, what did you do? Uh, and I, I see individuals all the time, some who, who have been victims of addiction, some who are victims of, of mental illness and so forth, that we all have great compassion for and need to maintain that. But we also see individuals all the time who just think life is for having somebody else support you while you just do what you enjoy. You come north in the spring, summertime 
and you panhandle all your way, all, way up to Jackson, and then you panhandle your way all the way down to Florida in the wintertime, life is just to take from others while they accommodate and enable you. Those are the individuals in my mind, without being judgmental, it's an assessment, but those are the individuals that manage to cram a whole week of living into a full year. In other words, that what they do for the kingdom and what they do for others during that week, if you total up all the time, wouldn't, wouldn't amount to anything. So the Lord is calling us how to be wise in how we live every day. He knows we have jobs to work, schedules to keep, and responsibilities we must meet. But you and I are managers and are to give an account for our time. That's why I commend you for being in church on Sunday night, because that's an essential part of time management, isn't it? There are some people that start watching sports events on Sunday afternoon that run into the evening that don't have the discipline to turn off the TV so they can come to church. Well, they'll tell us even as pastors sometimes, I was going to come, but the football game ran late, and, or the hockey game, or the soccer game, or whatever it was, it ran late, and I just couldn't, shut my, I couldn't bring it to shut off. Other people sometimes spend, stay up late at night watching stupid TV things that they should shut off when it's time to go to bed. But they'll get enchanced in a movie. And boy, it's a, it's a killer. It's a thriller. It's a diller. And they'll stay there till 10, 30, 11, 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And then in the morning they wake up groggy and they, they haven't been wise stewards of their time. Other people do that with reading. I've seen people get so engrossed in reading that they just read the whole time. It's a wonderful thing to read. But you can just read yourself into oblivion in a make-believe world. So one of the things that you've done tonight as a stewardship of time is that you are setting, you are setting aside time on Sunday evening to begin the week in the house of God. And those of you that have small children are, have them here. And you know, as children get older, they say, do we have to go to church tonight? Do we really have to go to church tonight? We've heard those preachers 6,000 times. Do we have to go to church tonight? And I encourage you, parents, say, yes, you are going to church tonight. We are going to church tonight. We are a Sunday night family. And I tell you, kids won't like that. Uh, but it's part of the stewardship of our own time. And insofar as we have the authority and the responsibility stewarding the time for others. That's why parents always say, do you have your homework done? You're always asking your children if you are, whether you homeschool or public school or whatever it is, do you have your homework done? In other words, have you taken the time to do that? And if not, do that. Uh, it's, it's part of time management. And I think one of the best ways is to make yourself a do list. Uh, I think one of the best ways to manage your time so that stuff doesn't fall off your plate because you've got so many things going, and everybody does, but is to make out things that you're going to do tomorrow or this week for sure at the latest, but make out a do list. And I have people say, I won't do that. That's tyranny. You'll find yourself forgetting a lot of things that you should have not forgotten had you taken the time to write them down. And then when you cross them off, you have a good feeling about, I got that done and I got that done and I got that done. Didn't get that done. I'll do that tomorrow. And you move it up there. Time management is a big part of our stewardship as believers. Sometimes we have people tell us all the time, I don't have time to read the Bible. 
I just don't have the time to do that, Pastor. Uh, I, I wish I did, but my schedule's so full, I don't have time. Can I tell you, if, you, if that's your case, you're too busy. You're putting too much of the earthly ahead of the eternal. Don't, and I'm not saying that you should read the Bible as much as we pastors do. I'm not even implying that, because we get paid to do that. That's part of our job, is to study the Word of God and to, and to pray. And, and I don't know, I can't... I, I don't believe that God expects anybody that's not full-time in Christian ministry to spend as much time in the Word as He expects us as pastors to. But I'll tell you one thing. If you take your Bible home on Sunday and then can't find it the next, the next time you go to church, you say, where did it? Which one of you kids took my Bible? I know it was over here somewhere. It, it, and where, where did it go? It means that you have neglected the Word of God. And, and I'm not trying to be crass about those things or cruel about those things. It just reflects a scattered, haphazard approach. All of us know that if we didn't manage our time well, if you are an employee and you only got up in time to go to work three days out of five, and the other time you called in and said, well, I'm sorry, uh, I just can't make it today. I, I, I watched TV last night quite late. Uh, I know I shouldn't have, but I uh, hope you understand. You would not be an employee any great length of time in that company. You would be asked to turn in your resignation and maybe not even to come back to get your check. Time management is essential for all of us. Doesn't mean you can't have free time. Doesn't mean that you can't have leisure time uh, and do things that, that, are, that are normal. And act. But I'm talking about time that is wasted. It's just like saving money. Some people say, I can never save any money. That's because they don't save it in small increments. Start saving in small increments and you'll be surprised. Now let's go on to number two. You're probably tired of hearing about that. Uh, time, the clock, the calendar. Stewardship of money, point number two. Turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 16 and there we're going to read these verses just because they really speak to us. Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, the Lord's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus speaks these words immediately after telling the parable of the unjust steward. In the parable of the unjust steward, he's caught squandering his master's money. And he's called to give an account of how he used that. That's for people, I think, who say, I'd like to tithe, but I can't afford to. I just can't afford to tithe. Uh, that's like the steward who was squandering his master's money. And realizing that he had been caught, he starts now to think about the future. He should have been thinking about the future before and laying up his treasures in heaven and making wise use. But now he's suddenly realizing he's going to be unemployed. And he says, I'm too lazy to work and too proud to beg is what it amounts to. And so he has misused the master. So what does he do? You know that story. He goes to each one that owes his master's money, and he, he, he does shrewdly, 
In other words, he, act, he acts astutely in making provision for the future, and then he asks them to write bills for less than what they owe. And the master doesn't commend him for being crooked, but he commends him for being wise at this point in thinking about his future. Do you follow that? And that's what you and I are to do, is to be wise in thinking about our future in the use of our resources. Jesus is saying that if we cannot be trusted with something as temporal and fleeting as money, he's not going to trust us with the truly valuable things of the Spirit. If we've not proven faithful with little, we will never be entrusted with much. If we are not faithful with that which belongs to someone else, who's going to give us something of our own? Then Jesus tells us that you cannot serve two masters, God and money. Now, let's go to these, fill these in, four simple terms here uh, about money. All right. First of all, money is a trust. God has trusted you with this common denominator of, of expenditures, of currency. It's, it's a trust. Something God has entrusted to our care, something which belongs to him, but which he has given to us to invest or use on his behalf. The idea here is that we will get a good return on his, on his investment. If he trusts us with little and we use it wisely, he will trust us with more. That is why he says, he who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Money is something God has entrusted to you. You don't own it, neither do I. It is a trust. Secondly, it's a tool. He expects that we will use it to further his kingdom here on earth using it as best we can to reveal his glory and to relate his gospel to those around us. To the one who is spiritually minded, money is never something which should become an end in itself, but rather it's merely a tool, something that we use to accomplish a greater good. Is that how you view your money? It's like a rope that is thrown into the water to save someone from drowning. It is not the rope that is valuable. It's the life that is saved that has the value. So it is with money. It, is a, it has a value only to the degree that it is used properly and to the degree that it is used to further the kingdom of God. Number three, it's a test. Money is a test. God often gives us something of lesser value to see if he can trust us with something of greater value. If he cannot trust us with something as fleeting as money, why should he trust us with spiritual things of eternal value? And just for the record, God can give you as much money as he wants, or he can leave you with as little money as he wants to. We are dealing with someone here who has our very heartbeat in his hands. We shouldn't quibble over something as temporary as money. And then fourthly, it is a thermometer. The money that you have is a thermometer of your soul. Now, I'm just going to take the gloves off here for a moment and speak to you right out of my heart. If you do not at least, very least, tithe, if you are not investing at least a portion of the money God has entrusted you into eternal causes, you are not a growing Christian, and you probably need to take a hard look at your life through the lens of the Scripture. That may sound a little harsh, but Jesus makes it abundantly clear here when he says you cannot serve God and money. 
And it's interesting, I never did understand this, and I wasn't sure about this. Uh, when I first heard it, I thought that's just some preacher trying to, trying to get me to load up the collection plate. Um, uh, but you know, Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. There are more verses devoted to the stewardship of our resources than there are verses that are devoted to the subject of heaven or hell. That's amazing, isn't it? I just, I just thought to myself, why would Jesus do that? He's not a money grubber. He didn't take up a collection plate. He was supported mostly by, by wealthy ladies that contributed to his ministry and kept him and the disciples going. But what it's talking about here is if we are going to be serious about stewardship. And I've had, here's one that really gets me. I hope none of you ever say this to me. Uh, uh, Pastor, that's Old Testament law. Tithing's Old Testament law. I want to tell you something. If you think you can do less under New Testament grace than under Old Testament law, you're sadly mistaken. If you try to cheapen the gospel down to say that tithing is Old Testament law and that's not applicable to New Testament, that's, you, what you're doing there is just saying, well, uh, murder, uh, thou shalt not commit murder, well, that's an Old Testament law. Uh, thou shalt not uh, steal, that's an Old Testament law. You cannot do less. How could we do less under grace than what we would do under law? Does that make sense to you? So don't ever let the enemy tell you, well, that's Old Testament law. That was for a different dispensation. I get so weary with people trying to tell, well, and, and no, no one in this church does, but I've had people say, that's when we would talk about resources and stewardship. That's Old Testament law. That's New Testament grace. Almost like New Testament grace is just something that's just hand, handed out. You don't have any accountability, any responsibility. You cannot possibly do less under, under grace than you could under New Testament law. And anybody that tries to justify that is only fooling themselves and trying to hang on to that which belongs to God. How can you say you are willing to give your life to Christ if you're not willing to surrender your wallet to him? What have I got on this last page? I bet you hope it's not much. <laughs> After 30 minutes now. Here's three things you could fill in and we're done. How, do, how can I help you grow? How can you help yourself grow in this area of your walk with Christ? Number one, assess your time and money expenditures. Assess your time and money expenditures. I, I challenge you, when you at, at the end of this year, when you sit down to do your taxes, you know, one of the things that the government has done now is that they have upped the uh, level, the exemption level, to where some people anymore, uh, it's hard to meet that. It's almost impossible to meet it if you're retired, because I think I can't, I should, should have checked this out, but I think it's like 24000 isn't it? Uh, that, that the assessment level, you can write off $24,000, and so if you don't have more contributions than that, you are... And, and what happens then when there's no incentive, sadly, when there's no government incentive to itemize your taxes beyond a certain point because you don't meet that, then sometimes people get careless in their giving. Don't grow careless in your giving. It's a thermometer of your soul. And it shows where your affections are. Assess your time and money expenditures. All of us have a vague idea of how we spend our time and money, but you can consider keeping a record for a few days. Number two, set some goals. You can start out simply by setting some goals. I've had people say, I can't, I can't start out, Pastor Larry, with 10%. Start out with five. 
Start out with five, and every three or four months or six months, up at six or seven, go up to seven, seven and a half, eight, up to ten. Uh, and that's, that's the minimum, friends. I, and again, I'm not speaking out of any desire for, for uh, myself that I know my own heart. I just know that God blesses those that honor his word. Set some goals about your giving. And then number three, exercise some faith. Do it. Step outside of your comfort zone and do what God has commanded you to do and trust him to take care of everything else. Here's a thing that I have found and every person that ties, gives tithes and offerings to church has found. You will find that a life surrendered to Christ can accomplish more in a smaller amount of time and money than is under his control. Lots of times when I'm figuring up my, uh, my, my resources, my, my money, my monthly money, I think, Lord, you must have manifested it. I, missed, I must have missed something in here because uh, I couldn't possibly have this much left. And I look at it and I think, no, I know what that is. It's God making what we give to him go farther with the remaining percentage, uh, the remaining 80% or whatever it is, 90, 75, that remaining percentage will go farther than the original 100% under your control. I promise you that. The Bible says God will multiply it and you'll be amazed at that. Well, at the end of the day, we're either Christians or not. We're either following the word of God. The call of Jesus was and is radical. It's a call to total surrender. It's a call to follow him in totality, not just partially. It's a call to life service, not merely lip service. And we cannot expect the world around us to believe that we really believe what we really believe if we're not willing to practice what we preach. Jesus, keep this in mind when it comes to time and money. Jesus did not give us lip service. He gave us life service. On Calvary's cross, he laid it all down. And he's expecting someday, and I I think of this, you know, when you get to be old, (laughs) when you get to be old, you think a lot about what what the Lord's going to say to you and what you're going to say to the Lord. And I want to be able to have him say, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I challenge you, are you pleased with the amount of time and, I, and I'm not talking again about some, I heard a preacher one time say, you should get up at four o'clock, and I think to myself, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Some of you might have to get up that early to go to work, but, you know, I don't think God expects us to deprive ourselves of sleep. I really don't. If we're good stewards, we don't have to deprive ourselves of sleep to spend time reading his, his word and to spend time in prayer. And I don't think God expects us to, uh, to, to lose a lot of weight because we don't have money to eat. We won't have to do that if we're wise in that which, uh, distributing that which he gives. He will multiply that. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that you will not be able to receive it. So think about those two areas in your life this week. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? Does it reflect a radical commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's my question to all of us. Let's pray.